Howdy. Welcome one, welcome all. Greetings. Welcome to The Bird. I'm The Bird, a.k.a. Calibri. And this is The Bee. Bzzoo. The Busy Bzzoo. Bee. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to lead us in a breath before we begin, if everyone would like to join me. Thank you. This is episode two. How's how's uh your week been since the last time we checked in? Isn't this three? Well, yeah. I mean, but you wanted to do the zero, one, two. Yeah, three, this is so. our fourth filming. So from episode zero, this is number three. Right. I just didn't know how you wanted to go about work, but I'm just going by. This is number three, but it's the fourth one. Yeah, but. But you said two. Oh, so we're I? at three, everyone. Oh, we're at bad. three. We've been at this every week for four consecutive weeks now, working our way into our flows. I'm in a very mellow and centered, rooted place today, it being the second day of my moonsis, as I call it personally. Some will call it their period, mensis. Got to take the man out of the period, mm, huh? That's no, just what resonates with me. I was just free bleeding in the garden. I was bringing that up on Instagram yesterday about wanting to start a conversation about free bleeding and about moonsis and about um, the moon cycles of the feminine. I mean, it's definitely better than sticking toxic tampons in there, right? Almost definitely. And everyone has their own methods and things available to them and conveniences they like to engage in. And Don't ladies get like, like toxic shock syndrome type of thing from mm -hmm. that? If you like leave it in there too long? TSS. Some people you don't have to leave it in long at all. Woo. You could also put like drugs on there, right? Well, mm. Is that a good way to absorb some drugs to the yoni? Yes, this is true, actually. Uh, Quick absorption? Okay. So because... <laughs> Mr. Son of Laughter, Isaac, uh, <laughs> um, there was a girl that I was on sheriff's detail with once upon an old lifetime of mine, and she told me about sneaking drugs into jail, into one of those metal pill holders that are on a keychain. And she had taken it up into her womb space and um, ended up with an infection that caused one of your favorite subjects, the blue waffle, Ooh. which I had never heard of before, this story. And I didn't know it was a real thing. But I really wasn't something I wanted to be educated on, but I'm still grateful for her story and her candor and, <laughs> and the, um, the warning of that to be... You know, not search. that I didn't know, but to be very careful with metals in the body. They don't search that? I thought that's like a whole thing, like demoralizing aspect of prison or jail. Mm, cavity searches are, I hear that they only happen if there's some, if there's, you know, there has to be some sort of probable cause for that. Oh. I hear drug addicts endure that quite often. 
No, that's not the direction I wanted to take. You want to talk about coughing and, <laughs> and spreading? Here we are, story time. We um, like tangents, so. We do, but on the subject of menses and free bleeding into the garden, being deeply rooted in my root chakra and sacral energy, I wanted to wear the I wanted to wear the orange. I felt a lot of orange light today around emotion and feeling, but I wanted to bring up the subject of compost. Where did my compost book go? Do you see it anywhere? No. Mm. What book is it? The Secret Life of... It's right there. Would you mind getting it for me? Yes, The Secret Life of Compost. (sighs) I'm going to reference books today because I need a little bit of assistance. But I wanted to speak on Malcolm Beck. Um, I have a few books to mention in our book book drops. And uh, this is The Secret Life of Compost. It's by Michael Beck. He's a fellow Texan as well. And he is all about nature over chemicals and has really helped even the most mainstream, even the NFL, reshape their thoughts around natural turf and the um, micro-universe of dirt and compost and waste and death. People like to celebrate the life around themselves, but they don't understand that whenever you walk into the forest or you're walking along the ground, there's life. There's death, and then there's old, old death. And just like myself, being a microcosm of my environment, I'm going through the shedding myself right now, shedding of my uterine lining of the great death of my unused baby house. (laughs) And um, I really appreciate the way that Malcolm speaks to living earth and the cycles of life. And he's just a real down-home, simple man that uh, educated himself on um, not only the evolution of, uh, you know, realizing that planet earth is a gigantic organism itself, um, it's a concept that Mr. Beck expands upon hauntingly, in hauntingly beautiful epic style, I'd like to say. So if you're interested in compost, and and uh, it all begins with compost for us, especially uh, like my bestest, dearest soul sister and best friend, Frances, who's, who is now embarking on a new journey, uh, Wildflower on Tour. You can find her on Instagram. Uh, We all met through compost. We all met through the beauty of compost. And I'm ever grateful for that. I was just playing in the compost yesterday and spreading out uh, a heat pile of compost that I was experimenting with, doing in-bed composting over the winter. And I got to spread it all out in a couple of my beds and prep for these seeds that I'm about to sow. It was lovely. Bleed right into it. What was the takeaway from the book? I mean, what did you, uh, what's like a, what did you learn from it that you didn't know already? 
Oh, goodness. There's so much. There's so much to cover there. I remember just looking at this cover, there's a huge pile. Mm-hmm. Which ours is never that big, like a mound. But I remember seeing a video of a guy who, um, to ferment, to make black garlic, to ferment garlic, he'd, you know, because compost, to like break it down, he's like a constant interior heat temperature. And then the, and, and the ferment garlic, he needs that. And I remember he'd stick these jars in there. And they'd be like, I think for garlic, it needed to be like 140 degrees, I think I remember. And he'd stick it in there, and like, I don't forget how long you have to leave it in there, but, the, you know, the garlic would come out black, yes. and it's like super fermented and like just a superfood, essentially, but... Yeah, that was uh, Rhodes, that was from Rhodes, uh, 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 channel that he has, Justin Rhodes, he was featured on Justin Rhodes, I'm trying to recall his name, but he was a guest. You could find that on Justin Rhodes' channel, Black Garlic, and I think that's on one of his, um, he was interviewing another farm where he goes on tour and he interviews other farms. And that That's where we first started toying with the idea of Black Garlic, and I went ahead and stuck a jar of ours. <laughs> it's supposed to be about 140 degrees from what I remember. I, I need to circle back to that experiment do that again because there's so many benefits to black garlic yeah i don't think ours i don't think ours made it but uh, I, I you know we were kind of like half-heartedly trying but i don't remember it turning black or anything but mm, well it certainly did ferment and get really sweet and i think it was about halfway there i did cook with it i remember that much that was years and years ago back in the beginning when we had so many projects going that i kind of Went to the wayside. <sighs> How are you? I'm great. I, uh, look, I, well, I listened to an audiobook, but I listened to this book, Ishmael, which is, uh, apparently like a classic. I think it was, it came out in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But it was very, uh, I, I don't know, it was very, quite the story of, quite the way to, like, way to, change your perspective on something through like story not, but they said it's through like a socratic conversation through through a talking gorilla which you know it's a little weird but once you, if you just get past that you're like just absorbing the info it's super super great but it's kind of talking about how like the it starts out with this gorilla he, there's like an ad in the paper and it says teacher seeks pupil uh if you want to save the world to save the world or something like must apply in person and the guy's like jaded because he kind of already gave up that gave that up and he's like where is this when i was younger i needed this and so he's like oh, i'll go check it out and then there's like a gorilla in an office and then um long story short yeah he breaks it down the world into like takers and leavers and takers being like kind of the western just the world after agriculture and they get the road we took from that and then leavers being like the hunter gatherer types that kind of le- live with in harmony with the world and the take, and it was it's it was super fascinating because it was talking about, you know, myth like culture and story. Like our, our culture is, um, something that it's like a how a group of people enact their story, and their story is their place in the world and their, and in relation to the environment and God and and so like our and then the gorilla was asking the guy the human guy he's like so what's your story like your what's your culture's myth and he's like well we don't really have any. And then so he like makes him think on it, which is good because then as you, he kind of like, it's kind of coming from your perspective too, because as a Western person, you're like, yeah, we don't really have any myths or anything. And, and then so he talks about, he's like, I guess our creation myth is 
you know, 14 billion years ago, there was a big bang. And then six billion years ago, the earth was formed. And, you know, I don't remember, you know, then the microorganisms form and evolve into, you know, like reptiles and like, you know, fish and then reptiles and like mammals and then like apes and then humans. And kind of, that's kind of the end, like we're the pinnacle and like we're like the the great achievement of it. And, and then through that mindset, you know, being, if we're the pinnacle, it means like everything's here for us. Like everything's under our domain and like we can do whatever we want to enact our vision of stuff and which and by creating our own paradise how that makes we kind of by trying to make our own paradise essentially we're destroying the actual world in it because we just think we can do mess with anything and not have any consequences and so it's super it's super interesting just thinking of in, in contrast to that to the levers and the harmony of people and then like one time he's like talking he does this great analogy of like uh your civilization or culture being like um like a, a flying craft like the early aeronauts as he called it and you know so our culture is on this you know thing kind of this craft we made and we're taking off we, we're making all these great stuff and we're everything's going smooth and flying and occasionally we'll look down and see like wreckage of other air aircrafts that were there before us which you know it's kind of like analogous to like ruins like the anasazi people or like mayans or egyptians and mm -hmm. or like oh the hell those like those early attempts to how, how futile like we're well we're gonna do it way better and smarter and then how that uh that eventually like the law catches up of the law being like of uh what do they call it because they were like relating it to gravity and how something like that can apply to us and how we live but it was like the law of like limited competition and like how we like take competition out and how that affects everything else and you know try to only makes like we're a head head dog and then eventually like you know we're kind of our craft gets lower and lower and like so we keep pedaling harder and pushing more stuff and like just more production and then eventually that, well, that's just you know we're gonna end up eventually we'll just end up like those ones before us and i don't know it just really makes you think it's a it's a great little uh, like it was an audiobook, I think it took me like three hours to listen to or something. Mm -hmm. Well, a few points. Uh, I remember this book when I was young. I really appreciate the archetypes, channelers, and the the use of a gorilla as the the channel for the message, because. It's something uh, that Western society, I won't say we because I don't feel a part of that because I do have my own mythos uh, and I do have, and I do adhere to, um, adhere, maybe that isn't the right word, but I do like to use story and archetype and I do feel connected with culture and reaching back into my own ancestral heritages and their own stories and I do love the use of story I mean that's age-old is the use of story and as philosophy and as lesson and parable and moral and the sort of instruction manuals of of life and living and loving and everything here and after in between I like the use of the gorilla because it's sort of 
a symbolism of our primitive root selves that we can relate to from a lower self sort of standpoint to reach a higher it's like a it's more relatable I think to a person that's still in that sort of state of being state of mind yeah because in the in there he talks about like he's like oh we don't want the they never say his name but the guy talking to the gorilla is like yeah like we don't want to live like lions or wombats anymore and the gorilla's like what's wrong with that like they don't they don't take more than we need and and how like you know and they relate it to the birth of agriculture because they're like how that relate because when that starts once you start growing stuff and you know planning you know trying to have be in control of the food source and that leads to like surplus which leads to like hoarding and like this is mine like this is not yours and that leads to like trade which leads to like money and mathematics and then how that just keeps snowballing down that way and and the and you know it's even just in our lingo like how because like the whole idea of like conquering or this is ours like because like even like when the early days when they did space travel i got lemongrass in my teeth I, there was a <laughs> They even say like, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta conquer space. We gotta like conquer, you know, just our march goes forward, and like we gotta like conquer, go to Mars." And 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 they related that that to like when agriculturalists start. And apparently, that's like the whole Cable and Ain story. Like one was kind of doing that. I don't know the full story, but it was in, in relation that they were relating that. Mm -hmm. But and how like well, people with agriculture, they like the first two born sons of man after the first wipeout. You know, after the first rewriting and they were brothers representative of a lot anyway oh um yeah and um just how like what agriculture how it's like almost it's almost like uh it's almost like christian like christians when they go to like these you know un these uh lever primitive people and like they're like oh you guys need to start growing shit like so they're like you gotta you gotta start farming and like and how we do that like everywhere like like new zealand like you, you know they just like any new bland as an opportunity to start farming and then just keep spreading that mindset of mm -hmm. you know you have to control your food and which which has its perks but then like but you know they're talking to hunter gat they're doing like a little run through of talking to hunter gatherer person and he's like he's like well you got to have more food and he's like he's like what are you gonna do if there's a he's like what are you gonna do if you're hungry and he's like then the guy the grill ishmael is playing the hunter guy and he's like he said well we just go out and hunt some deer and he's like what if there's no deer or anything and he's like well then we'll hunt for some rabbits and He's like, if there's no rabbits, then, you know, well, you know, basically, he's like, then even, even talking about just like not doing well, like as a people, then, well, you know, it's just in the hands of stuff. But then the other guy just can't fathom it. And he's like, no, you need to like join, you kind of like essentially join this. And it's very uh, proselytizing. So that apex, instead of knowing that we're in a holistic world and that everything and we're not above or below anything that we all work in symbiosis with everything else everything is just as important as the other uh like <clears throat> excuse me like uh the eradication of pests really is is uh challenging for me um i like to work with nature instead of wanting to conquer i think um, that ego that survival mechanism within us is deaf or not within us but within that sort of uh, societal mentality that 
yeah, like you said, we're the apex in that in that uh, framework, and that's just not how nature works. I really like. It reminds me of um, Abraham Hicks, you know Esther Hicks, and the way that she's a channeler for similar message and a a lot of other channelers that channel through with guides um and with our our archangels ishmael it 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 harks back in my brain to ishmael is uh the firstborn son of abraham yes i read um which was uh he was like the holy father grandfather of the ishmaelites and and um, consequently, uh, where we come from, being the sons of laughter, um, was uh, half brother to Isaac, who who was um, born of Abraham and Sarah. Which is funny enough, that's my biblical name. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of like full circle energy in that for me right now. Is what that's pulling at from within. Um Thank you for sharing the book with me. Yeah, it was very uh I don't know, like when you read comments on it, it's like, oh this totally changed the way I perceive things and like yeah, 'cause I feel like most Western people don't you know, you just assume that's just the way you think, you know, the only way to think and way to be. And then how the, by how that, like, cuts off so much other stuff that we, that we can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's definitely a needed source of wisdom. You know, kind of like last episode, we were talking about, like, with psychic abilities and that, like, if you mm-hmm. if you don't think you can do it, then just you're not going to, you know, the door's, right. the door's closed, so. This is what I was talking about with that, with psychic ability, is that, it, that it's treated as like a supernatural paranormal type of thing instead of it being very natural it's it is just the senses that are honed and practiced just our regular senses that we have the ability to hone and practice and to tap into and if we were taught just as like what uh ishmael is trying to convey if we were taught that these are natural occurrences outside of the the paradigm um, of what we've been taught or what others have been taught because I don't I don't relate to that sort of mentality at all I never thought of myself as greater than any other creature not even the smallest of, of organisms Everything is miraculous and beautiful, including compost. Can I read this um, poem real quick? Yeah. From the book. It's quite gorgeous. I can give a little context here. So, um, the greatest philosopher Socrates, or Socrates, called planet Earth a gigantic organism, as I was just saying. a concept Michael Beck expands upon in hauntingly beautiful epic style. There is no pretentious prose in Beck's little opus. There is simply a humble recognition that a minuscule part does not command the organism 
that no one born of woman is smart enough to redesign nature. This harsh assessment comes terribly close to saying that modern agriculture is really not worth saving. Oh, what a perfect tie-in. Right. So it really arcs back to what you've been... I've been rereading this book because every spring I like to peruse through all of my books over again. It's kind of this cycle of re-education every um, larger cycle for me in the seasons. So, and it's just so funny that we're really... Sorry, and real quick, yeah, I'm I'm sure Mm -hmm. by modern agriculture it means like industrial like monocropping and yes uh, so he really right he he really brings a common man approach to uh even the texas a&m university he completely kind of overhauled the way that they teach and the way um that a lot of big industry in texas thinks and acts and um participates in agriculture here speaking of agriculture um and he he goes around to farms all throughout Texas and uh, helps them unlearn unlearn and relearn um, being in step with nature and just looking at things in a common sense approach. That's what I appreciate the most about the people that really um, resonate with me that I feel have a common silver strand kind of uh, soul link with. Simple. Simple. And, and closest to nature, back to back to the basics. So, uh, in continuing this, there is an oft-quoted poem that late William A. Albright liked to recite. Its sparkling lines explain the mindset of the modern agriculturalist and project the reason for being of a man like Malcolm. This poem, author, author unknown, encapsulates what is really the message of this a book. Woman. <laughs> anonymous uh it tells with penetrating insight uh really the message of this book it tells with penetrating insight how men first fertilize the soil and then here it is at first men try with magic charm to fertilize the earth to keep their flocks and herds from harm and bring new young to birth Then to capricious gods they turn to save from fire or floods. Their smoking sacrifices burn on altars red with blood. Next bold philosopher and sage, a settled plan decree, and prove by thought or sacred page what nature ought to be. But nature smiles, a sphinx-like smile. Watching their little day, she waits in patience for a while, their plans to dissolve away. They come, those humbler men of heart, then they come, with no completed scheme, context to play a modest part, content to play a modest part, to test, observe, and dream, till out of chaos come in sight, clear fragments of a whole, man, learning nature's ways aright, obeying, can control. The great design now glows afar, but yet its changing scenes reveal not what the pieces are, nor what the puzzle means. And nature smiles, still unconfessed, the secret thought she thinks. Inscrutable she guards, unguessed, the riddle of the Sphinx. Very nice. Thank you. Is not my own, but 
I resonate with. Speaking on hunter-gatherer primitive type living, I saw this thing and you being on your moon, sis, about hunter-gatherer women, they, I don't know how they find this out, but they said they don't, they didn't generally start their periods until they were like 17 or 18. And how that has, there's, what they were correlating that to was like body fat content and like just us being more, you know, having more fat and just food available. So I guess that triggers your body to like, you know, all right, I'm, we're ready to have a baby. Cause like if it, you know, if there's more scarcity and food and you're like, you know, your, your body waits until it's like, you know, more ready, but, um, you know, and they, and they say, you know, like female athletes, like they, they don't start their periods to weigh later because they're, they're, you know, generally have less fat on them. But I just found that interesting because like, you know, how young girls can start it nowadays. Right. I started, and this sort of runs in my family this way. I started when I was 10 years old. My youngest daughter started when she was 10 years old. My mother started when she was 10 years old. <laughs> yeah, because imagine if you're... You know, you're, you're have more fat content that you know your body thinks. All right, we have food for the, food for a baby, so it like kind of would seems like it makes sense that it would like trigger to like. All right, we're we're able to, we're ready. Mm. Versus like you know the scarcity of food, like this is not a good time to be having a baby. Look how much how lean we are right now. Mm-hmm. And in my family, we are curvy women with more hip and and butts and kind of. Uh, a typical hourglass shape. We have uh, some meat, a little thick thighs, and boy, does that save lives. <laughs> Speaking of moons, I just had one uh, quote here. It's called Moon Moon by Anne Kent Rush. It's from my other book that I'm plugging today, another one called Soul Sisters, The Five Sacred Qualities of a Woman's Soul. Epithia P.A. A delicious book. Oh, just chock full of so much wisdom. Every page has at least three or four quotes along the edges, along the margins. And it's the way this is from uh, the feminine face of magic chapter. She is the egg and the seed of the world. She is darkness as well as light. Her cycles encompass all moods and all phases. She is queen of the bright night and of the darkness, guide to the lost traveler and pathway to the underworld. She brings creativity and visions. She also brings sleep, darkness, and death. She is the home of the souls of the unborn and of the dead waiting for rebirth. Oh, moon, moon. <laughs> Speak more on uh, blood, I remember this is my notes about how I, I learned that um actually I just forgot that cats uh they for in order for cats to be fertilized they have to the semen of the male cat has to yeah. be mixed with bl the blood of the female mm -hmm. which which is why they have male cats have like barbed penises so that I guess right. it just fucks them up inside and it's then so ritualistic they, and that's why you and that's why you hear like when you hear cats mating like outside they're like it sounds like the the, the female's screaming she's like Rrr! and it's because it because there's like blood being drawn so right. i thought i don't know i thought that was fast just blood and semen that's like a the i don't more, know why that's an evolutionary thing but right 
the more I learned about cats throughout my life and just being raised with so many cats and being the firstborn daughter of seven generations or more of firstborn daughters, at least that's the traceable of it, um, and then being familiar, our familiars and uh, realizing through stories like Constantine and, and um, what cats were used for in ancient uh, practices and, and lore and mythos, them be them straddling the worlds, you know, that they're able to be used. Dimension as, hoppers. Right, but that they can, you can use them as a catalyst for, for dimensional uh, hopping yourself. And just the way that their cats are so incredibly interesting. I don't like living with cats, but I do have an immense respect for cats. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the litter box and just toxoplasmosis, but you know, indoor outdoor cats is a little different. But yeah, my cats always went outside. That's they uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I I can't remember exactly what that is, but you know, it's something like in the cat that has to some parasite in them, and then it it goes through their pee. I mean, that's why they say pregnant women can't be you know change litter boxes because there's something in there and it just affects you and the baby and like it, it makes you like aggressive and it does all these like mm -hmm. judgment calls and. Something because I think it to reproduce it has there's something in the cat's belly that it like it or it's in when it gets into rats or mice like they something happens to them to their chemically in their brain where they they literally get like sexually attracted to the smell of cat pee yes. so then uh, that's what the it, there's like a parasite in the mouse to the cats. yeah so they go where the cats are and then the cats eat it and then that parasite is in the cat's stomach and then that's what it that's where it like reproduces or and something then it births, right and then it's able to produce inside the the cat's digestive system and then yeah. the whole cycle starts over again so the mice end up actually sexually attracted to the cats or they get like excited by it yeah, Am amorous it makes them amorous it's so fascinating whoa i don't i'm not sure why but that reminded me of the process of cordyceps and the way that the that that works just i think because the parasitic nature of that parasites are fascinating aren't they in the way the mind control yeah yeah, just how it changes your behavior to reproduce. Yeah. Like there's, I remember something, some fungus where it, it, I think it's crickets or grasshoppers or something that makes them like climb, climb. Some of them like makes them drown, like they drown themselves to reproduce and some might like go to the mm -hmm. top of a tree and then this thing bursts out of its head and shoots pores out so it can like spread further out. And Right, that's how the cordyceps work as well. So it's it, like a worms, right? Mm-hmm, it infects the worm and then Honestly, like those mushrooms causes aren't too the vegan. worm to... <laughs> to stop at a certain uh, point in the soil and then die and then the spores are born up out of it bursts out of will not die yet while it's living it bursts out of the top of the worm's head so that it can breach the this top soil and it uses the worm as its own fertilizer it's so it, it takes over the mind of the worm controls it and then uses it yeah, and, and it's just symbolic of what, you know, like, candida or just stuff does to us where, like, make, literally changes our behavior. Mm -hmm. Like, I need to eat sugar right now because right. that feeds whatever's growing in you. And like, It makes you wonder how much of our behavior is yeah, really controlled ours. by parasitic entities. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, th that really harks back to demon possession and, like, the stories of... of uh, like the OG stories of vampires and garlic and silver and all of these protections against parasitic 
yeah and demonic possession and and what it actually I means mean, i mean the same thing is like a when you see someone on meth or something that's like a chemical demon in them like they, oh, they just like just oh, go yeah, crazy and stuff they experience go with that well, not, you know, speaking on the like, cat pee before I forget, I remember hearing that uh, mm -hmm. why cats, why you can train cats in litter boxes and not dogs, which I found out you can do pig, pigs to use the litter boxes too if you have a little pot belly pig, but it's because cats are very like territorial and they, so mm -hmm. they stay in an area, so they pee and poop in one area, but dogs, you know, right. they naturally are nomadic, they just run, so it doesn't matter where they shit because they're up, like, I'm going to be gone in 10 minutes, so. And I relate more to dogs. I was actually also born in the year of the dog and. I have a lot of uh, kind of traits of a dog more than I would cats. Pee all over the place, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I really love to travel and I'm more nomadic. And yeah, I pee all over the place. <laughs> I mean, so do I. I try to pee outside as much as I can. Yeah, I really want to go back to a composting toilet. I'm really um, I'm not enjoying the indoor plumbing, especially with the... I mean, I enjoyed learning all about plumbing. That was really fun, and it was really fun to... I installed my first toilet here, which was super cool, but I really want to get back to humanure. Speaking of compost, back to the compost. It always comes back to the compost. But yeah, I'd really like a composting toilet again. That's challenging with children, and especially teenage daughters. And I was going to speak to that. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to use uh, materials that you know, don't fill landfills and aren't filled with plastics and chemicals for yourself, uh, even if you're not comfortable with um, using rags or, f or flea bleeding all the time, which, you know, we live in a modern age. I know that that's, that's really inconvenient and not possible for a lot of folks. So I wanted to plug just something that we use whenever times get busy or we need simplification or you know the girls they they still roam in and out of the the modern world all the time as well and it's this uh you can even find the brand at walmart it's called l and they've just re um formulated they they have a new look and new material it's 100 percent pure cotton top layer 100 percent plant-based absorbent core and then, of course, they don't have any dyes, fragrances, or synthetic pesticides. Um, and I believe they're working towards becoming organic. And and this is the second time I've seen this little insert, this card in their packaging, where they've improved upon themselves in the last couple of years. So I think it's, I, I like a company that's constantly evaluating themselves and and uh, re, you know, just re-establishing their their product. I don't know if that's the right word right now, but I just really dig evolving products and evolving companies that are always looking at how they can improve upon themselves to be more economical and environmental and. Yeah, let's say I think all companies do that, but it's in terms of uh, how can we make more profit this quarter? Like we need more, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's different for not that many care about sustainability aspects. Well, they've also they also donate back to um, programs helping other women around the world be able to um, have access to their own menstrual products because that's a big issue, especially in. 
in countries where women don't have much of a voice in this way and are um, demonized for having having a menstrual cycle uh, for just being women for just being absolutely natural i mean more than half the world has uh sheds their uterine uterine lining once a month um that are inside the the cycles of of you know still within reproduction range and um it should be something that is common education, especially among men who are raised by women and then live by women for most of, with women for most of their lives that they choose to be in relationship. And um, I don't know. I think I might. I'm thinking of of creating something out of this because it's such a such a topic that I like to speak to and I like to engage and I like to engage in communication this way and make it less taboo with people because so many women it's even so taboo to themselves and amidst them their own families their own mothers won't even speak to it with them so then they're left thinking one day whenever they just start bleeding all over themselves that they're dying and they don't know what to do and they're stopping it with every sort of material that they can find and then just have to figure it out for themselves they have to fend for themselves i'm so grateful for my mother growing up that we started speaking on on um reproduction and things at a very young age so i was i was very aware of my menstrual cycle so i'm grateful for her for that and i've been the same way with my girls and and any woman within earshot <laughs> but i do tend to make people quite uncomfortable with it because it's such a taboo Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean to start something like what do you like a mm, product or like a Yeah. forum type of There's something brewing there. There's something brewing there. So we'll circle back to that once it's been established and created, but Yeah, I feel there's purpose and there's um there's a need. Obviously, there's still a need. I know there's a lot of people that are engaged in in this process already, but I feel like I want to be another voice and um, and source of of light. Well, and I've always heard women talk about those moon cups, and they I've heard so many people dog on those and just say they like they hurt or they don't really they just leak they don't really do anything mm. they like shit still gets like falls well, out. They keep evolving too, and every so woman has moon an cups. Yeah, there's all sorts of names for them, but it's a, you know, it's a menstrual cup and I tried, I've tried several different brands and my cervix actually leans to the left. So it doesn't always work for me. It'll leak or it'll slip or it'll, it doesn't fit correctly. Um, if there's different sizes for, for different cups, uh, depending on whether you've had children or not, I've had two vaginal births. So, um, my needs are different but but it's an evolving it's an evolving process which i love i just i really dig that there's these underwears out there which of course you know there's there's just so many different ways that people companies are trying to uh create solutions for for something so common 
I just really appreciate the evolution of it. I did see that there's there's a big there's a big uh, what do you call it? Anyway, there's a big problem with the underwear that's coming out now that they've been finding some really toxic chemicals within the underwear that are causing problems for women. Um, and I think there's a big lawsuit right now in some of these these uh, menstrual underwear. Oh, specifically menstrual underwear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But hey, it's an evolving process like everything. It's evolving. Just like me. I'm a lot more calm and centered than I was even a couple of weeks ago. The winter, I'm a, also a winter baby, so the winter has, uh, especially during and after freezes, or during freezes, has a way of um, really triggering shadow work for me. And the ice is a perfect mirror for that which needs to be worked through in my environment and outer and inner. So the last couple of weeks have been mm, really illuminating. What a beautiful process this last month has been. Especially podcasting and having to look at myself in the, in the very real mirror of video and right. recording. Yeah, learning a lot about myself and us and and everything. <laughs> well, I have this in my notes about not just nothing about women that are I know some study about it's called like the sweaty t-shirt experiment but they're saying like women have been found to have a uh, seven times better smell than men and so they they did this experiment where they'd they did like these factors based on like like immune response genes and how so basically like they'd have all these like men wear shirts for like two days and they put them in a plastic bag and the women would like take big whiffs of them and then like based on these studies like I think they said like 80% of the time the like say if they did like had like five things that they were measuring and say if like a woman was deficient in number three and the man if a man had like was high in number three like they would be like uh, attracted to that they're like yeah I like this one this one smells good mm. and then like saying you know like in you know short number four like in the, this guy's got a lot of four then you know they they were attracted to that one and then but then they were talking about how women on birth control uh you know because that one the previous had 80 percent, but the women on birth control when they did it, it it like dropped down to 20 percent, and how that they're just how that affected their smell and then how women on birth control and how that could possibly poss you know cor possibly correlate to like birth defects or just birth mishaps of stuff not like defects but just things that don't align because you're that natural pheromone smell thing is blocked from birth control and how yes. like uh i don't know i just found that was super interesting that there's a yeah, how that how that blocks it, and then you know, because yeah. you wouldn't naturally mate with that person if you were if you weren't on that, and, and I've heard people talk about <laughs> birth control and how much their sex drive just drops when they're on it, and yes, and you gain weight, changes your your biochemistry, your brain, everything. It really fucks with nature, and I really don't appreciate it. I feel very passionately about birth control. That's why anyone. I feel like there's a lot of other ways to. Um, manage yourself outside of pharmaceutical therapy um, well including 
for instance, this tea. It's a reproductive tea uh, blend that I've created specifically for myself because I found that it works for me um, and just through herbal education. But it's raspberry leaf, rose hips, hibiscus, and cacao. And uh, for birth control? Well, it's for a healthy reproductive system. But some people do use different herbals for uh, birth control and that still have their own side effects and and um and you know that everything that can come with that with i'm not saying herbalism is perfect but it's far better than the side effects and also the detrimental effects also to the environment and the waters uh, that birth control that birth control has i remember I had an IUD. I actually became pregnant on an IUD because it um, got pulled out at some point. (laughs) But uh, the progesterone, uh, I had never been on birth control before, but this was after my first child. And I wasn't allowed to get my tubes tied uh, uh, by law. I had moved back to Texas from Colorado and no one would tie my tie my tubes, even though I didn't want another child. Um, uh, but my second child, she is a gift, and that is why her name is uh, the gift gift of God and uh, source, what what have you. Um, but that progesterone, I, t- I I found out very quickly that this is why I had some PMDD type um, symptoms with my cycle in my third week of my cycle because I was incredibly sensitive to progesterone and some women just are. I gained 15 pounds in a month. I would hold uh, excess of 20 pounds of water during that time of my cycle. I was an emotional, absolute, beautiful mess. And um, yeah, usually where I would have a wonderful sense of smell and I'd be able to sniff out, you know, dangerous men and um, dangerous situations. I, fe- I, def- I uh, pertaining to what you were speaking to, I definitely felt and recognized a difference. Being so attuned to myself and like what I was able to smell or what I was able to, s- to sniff out, so to speak, as a person. It really, it really wrecked me. I'm glad you brought it back to that because... I was gonna say that's like why I'm like when people wear like heavy cologne or perfumes, my, I'm like just like man, hey, like my, my it just triggers my like throat and systems. But yeah. I'm just like man, what are you hiding? Like just because it's just very like especially all these like chemical deodorants and it's yes. just like everything to do everything you can to to prevent as your natural smell. And it's just I'd like in my in my head, I'm always this. just like yeah, what are you what mm-hmm. are you hiding under that that smell blanket you're wearing? Mm-hmm. Also, I understand and in, in understanding that. A lot of chemicals, a lot of man-made chemicals and synthetics are endocrine disruptors, and this is why a lot of people have hormonal issues and and um, diabetes and everything else that and growth issues. Um, also responsible for a lot of mental disorders. Argue with me about it, but uh, I would I would venture to say a lot of autism and. Um, autistic traits and mental disturbances and behavioral disturbances in children are because of 
fabric softeners and uh, aerosols and um, you well, know synthetic gets, fragrances are really responsible for so much inside the home. I mean, it's that stuff passes the blood brain yeah. bar membrane, and like mm -hmm. they find that in like babies, like or in the womb, like they find like plastics and carcinogens in there, like just because like that's you know the mom's around it, and then it just yeah. gets into them. In testing umbilical uh, cord tissue and and fluids they found a plethora i believe it's upwards of 300 plus known carcinogenic chemicals from a person's typical environment that could be many of them could be avoided just through natural living and i would much rather smell a natural human and unnatural chemicals. I can't stand the smell of fabric softener or yeah, laundry detergent. Sweaty t shirt thing. Or cologne on men. It's it's very it turns me off a lot. You're saying what? Yeah, me too. Sweaty T shirt, what? And the sweaty T shirt thing they're talk also talking about how you know, like if you do have a good match and basically if you like sleep in a stranger's bed and like how it can like induce stress because like your the systems don't line up and you're like, Oh, this isn't like a you know compatible and then mm -hmm. I, don't know, I found and so they're you know they say like you know you know it's a classic thing like you know if your loved one's absent if you sleep with something of theirs and you know you find comfort in that but but that's like a it's like a chemical thing like mm. and I so yeah, if you're in someone else's bed yeah it's like you can be yeah. you know be like subconsciously stressed because you're like man this isn't right or... i love the way you smell your natural scent like I will, I will quite literally just no, no, stick just my nose in his armpit. My <laughs> I'm like, oh, I love it. I love it. But I mean, I don't think I have like a crazy funk. But yeah, I remember, I remember no, when I, I, when I do jujitsu, like that'd be because you're like right on top of people. You're like sweat and like, and as and just as like a racial thing, and you can just smell people's diets. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this yeah, definitely eats a lot of Indian food, or this is like, mm. you know, you can just it's interesting just how pe different people smell. It's like I fascinating. Love that smell, like the smell of spices through someone's skin, it's very interesting how we could be um, reprogrammed as humans. I really appreciate the way that I've programmed myself, the things that I've unlearned and relearned and reprogrammed for myself. Um, yeah, we're very sus yeah. Sus susceptible to it. That was another thing I was going to bring up was Edward Bernays and how he was like, uh, you know, he was Freud's nephew and how he was like the master of like programming us and mm. like some of the some of the examples like he, you know, he worked with like the pork industry and he just created this I, the term like breakfast meats and to sell bacon like oh this is what you eat for breakfast and well, this is why pork belly was on the stock market also as a commodity. I mean, he's responsible for. A lot of marketing and the principles of marketing and advertising as they are now. He's like the granddaddy of that. That's a prime example of using, uh, I'm not a big fan of psychology as it is. I mean, on a whole, I, mm, I mean, some of, a lot of it is useful, but I, I do feel that that's a prime example of, um, you know, using your powers definitely using your powers for for good and or evil if we're to divide that into um just the polarities well i mean objectively yeah he's like smart because yeah he's just getting paid these people are like hey how can we sell this and you know like another one was like cigarettes to women because they'd call them like freedom tortures or you know to make them feel like they're part of the war effort and or they're like mm -hmm. whole virginia slims because it's like feminine cigarette and but they also one was like dixie dixie coats. cups was 
the Dixie brand hired him to to sell you to sell a little disposable cup so he came up with oh it's more hygienic to use just these plastic disposable cups because you know reusable glasses like you know there's bacteria in there so don't use that like so so he's nice. he's a big problem of the whole disposal uh mindset of stuff it's really interesting that, and that took us down a long road we're still on that long road um but like i always say where my focus goes energy grows so i like to stay on the focus of of possibility uh, outside of programmability <laughs> how um we're so our human beings are so trusting especially in a system that is predicated upon a, a kind of fatherly um uh, program for lack of a better term well yeah and like harping to back look to our fathers i mean we say our forefathers right we'd say to look to our fathers for guidance and and so it's not the, it's not the fault of the people or the person it's the it's just a, a bunch of mind traps well yeah it's like what ishmael was talking about it's like the culture which en enacts the story and our stories yeah it's just like you know we have domain we can create whatever we want but you're harping back to that that tribal aspect of mm -hmm. of uh like men or just you know you're talking about like to the father aspect and like because you know like when all these in programming because like if when you live like in a what is that i can't remember that guy's name but it's like when that number where it's like you can keep like 150 people in your head and that's who you can like faces how you can remember and so like when you're when you're in like a small setting like that you're you know you're not you're less inclined to like screw somebody over because you're going to be eating dinner with that person that night or you're going to see them but if you're like far away isolated in your like castle like yeah that's just a statistic that's just a name on a piece of paper so like who cares if i right. screw them over right but we're not really in that sort of tribal um communal setting anymore there's it's societal now yeah so, definitely not uh there's a lot more people especially within the hives of cities and whatnot i don't really like to to dive into that very often i really want and crave and would like to with the the rest of my fellow fringe family and friends to create our own community if not town some people are creating their own towns with their own sort of uh, with their own ideals of systems and I, that's a dream of mine is to let's do the osho method <laughs> create a community of of um people that all have their own abilities and education and ways and means and ideas and and goals and gifts and skills so how do you decide who and gets in or out though or in at least it's I always, think uh, naturally who's governing this when we're all when we're all uh, in our own natural vibration and and we're vibrating out we're all on this frequency that's that's uh we can tune into and we're all you know basically on the same radio dial we all gravitate towards each other naturally like you and i did like 
I mean, Francis did, Pearl, Yeshua, um, Juno, Jordy, you know, as, as we've been here and living intentionally since starting this homestead and being on that, on that wavelength, um, we all naturally start to vibrate towards one another. I mean, you attract what you are. So the more that you become, the more that comes to you in the same fashion, the more you attract your, your own mirrors. And so um, seeking and pursuing through practice daily is going to bring us to that vision. If that's the evolving vision, then I just trust that that's what's happening. It's already unfurling and unfolding. And every time I see an omen, a sign, you know, the hewen and mulen, so to speak, of um, the breadcrumbs, I just having having the eyes to see that, ah, okay, I'm on the right path. Ah, okay, this is an alignment. I'm attuned to this, and it's attuned to me. And eventually, if that's what we truly want, we'll get there. So no four C's, but just walk in the path. Well, yeah, and just for, like, on that kind of note, just, like, for, like, single people, if you're trying to meet someone, like, you know, like, these fucking apps and stuff, like, that's not, a, I, I, I don't know, it's not a, I don't feel like a great way to meet people. We met on an app. If you, uh, <laughs> if you, like, do, say you, like, you're, you're interested in an activity or some, some, a hobby, and you're on this frequency of it, and, and by doing that, you meet other people in that hobby, like, they're already on the same, like, wavelength as you, yes. partially, so that's, like, a great way to start versus just swiping. I mean, we didn't meet on a dating app, though. It wasn't, like, no, wasn't but we like did we're, meet on Instagram. We weren't looking for, like, mm-hmm. it's not, like, this contrived thing. No, and what's beautiful is that, uh, What's beautiful is that we met, oh, it's a warning call, or is that an, a laying call? Oh, it's laying. Okay. Chickens are making noise. Um, we met over an Alex Gray post of mine. My post in- initially started as a, my page started as a fitness and nutrition and wellness page, just business page, and then eventually it turned into personal journaling, and one of my great bravest feats was to post this um out of out of context and character for my page uh, an alex gray painting and that's how b found me and then the rest was history we became sort of pen pals so to speak in the digital age and followed each other's journeys and had deep existential conversations and then finally uh, met up for a hike two years later. Spent nine, ten hours on a hike <laughs> in the woods and and swam with cottonmouth and and um, did a rain dance to evoke a storm and uh, made love on a rock in a creek trespassing on someone's property. <laughs> it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. And then uh, he caught a balloon for me. He went and when we were leaving and ran and caught this heart balloon for me. 
kind Wasn't of comes... in your trunk trunk I thought it was you, in my trunk i don't it, even know just, why the wind just blew it out and i just sprinted after it and i was like how symbolic yeah. i'm like chasing sprinting after this lady's heart and i was like exactly it's very uh <laughs> symbolic <laughs> there is a lot of symbolism and that whole journey there was a lot of resistance in the beginning from the outside world from every angle a lot of a lot of energies trying to keep us separate and apart from um, the power of our union. It's too powerful, my love. But here we are. We are walking this journey together still, six years later. Now just still fulfilling, fulfilling uh, dreams and goals and aspirations together working through the kinks and so thank you for loving me happy birthday to me yes huh? i i feel weird even because i don't we never even like celebrate birthdays and i was like oh yeah i'm like i feel there's still like a societal obligation i'm like oh i guess i need to do something because it's her birthday because to make sure she knows i care but i'm like I don't know. I, I get torn on. I'm like, should I even do anything? Because I'm like, we. I don't even, like. I don't. Even, I never even tell people it is. It's my birthday. I like, get passed and like. Yeah. Like at my work. I don't know. I just. I just I, don't even like it. But I usually don't. But I really wanted to shout out again to my sister Frances, who dedicated, uh, who whom is also starting her own podcast. Uh, Wild. She's on Wildflower on tour, and the podcast is uh, Harmony of Stories, which I really loved that title that she channeled down. Um with her guides but she dedicated a reel to me and and she told the story our our origin story and um an ode of her love to me she with the compost story make me cry yeah the compost story um but a way to circle back circle back to the compost um we're always we're always in in attunement together all of us in some way whenever we come back together in, in um, conversation we're like ah I'm in this I'm in this stage and phase and um, I just re-education or self-education also but she there was this so we used to sing songs together especially revolutionary songs at the beginning of 2020 because that was our way of um, spreading love light uh, through the chaos and frustration and and all of the negative emotion we wanted to transmute and so we used to sing songs by, like, Rising Appalachia, uh, Medicine Woman, and, you know, um, and Jewel. So she dedicated the song that meant a lot to us when we were teenagers. I used to sit in my bedroom. It's called uh, Hands um, by Jewel, and she sang that to me. She dedicated, she played the guitar, and she sang the song to me for my birthday. And it was just my Earth Day. And just the, it was just the most gorgeous of gifts. And every time the sisterly love that we share together really breaks my heart open. My once frozen heart in this way with, um, within feminine relationships in my life, which is, I feel is a cultural problem and there's another podcast that really speaks to this a lot which i really appreciate her name is becca piastrelli and she has a belonging podcast just a plug out and a shout out to her 
because I really appreciate the good works that she's doing. Um, and also to Amber Magnolia Hill, who heads up Medicine Stories. Um, Amber is actually the catalyst for me finding Becca Piastrelli, but she talks about um, a lot about community and and the way of culture and how sisterhood has really we've really lost our way in sisterhood and how there's a toxic culture surrounding that and how to come back into sisterhood speaking back to soul sisters book <laughs> so um i would just really appreciate that feminine connection especially having a, an estranged and broken connection with my birth mother and having to come back to myself, rebirth myself into mothering myself in the ways that I always wanted and needed from her. And thusly, it brought me my soul sister. Um, and the bestest female friend, my bestest female friend in the entire universe. And I'm just greatly appreciative. I think it's just a day to be able to, I, I, I don't follow, we don't follow, you know, Western celebration or Western culture as far as holidays, Western holidays, and in fact, very anti. <laughs> um, but I really, I appreciate the dedication um, to people and having a day to, to mark the um, incarnation of the human that I appreciate here that walks upon the earth. You would think a birthday would be about the mom. Like, oh, congrats, you gave birth versus, like, me, it's my day. Like, this is my birthday. And, like, or, like, when you, the audacity of people when they're like, you're ruining my birthday. And you're like, oh, my God, I dude, it's just a day. A do, you have many people, do you know how many people share the same birthday as you? I'm like. Yeah, I had a friend. I couldn't make it to their birthday party once, and, and they're, uh, their now husband happened to um, happened to uh, propose on their birthday, and they didn't speak to me for three months because they were mad at me because I couldn't make it to their birthday party because I, I was having to save, save teenagers from themselves. <laughs> One shot themselves in the stomach. Uh, not my own teenagers, by the way, but and the other ended up uh, going to jail. And so on that same evening. But it's just interesting how birthdays can really um it's kind of it's kind of like bridezillas i don't know these these marked occasions that have so much pressure and so much like ego-based mentality in them pressure and contrivity and i hate contrivity uh, like oh here's the yeah. part here's the cake countdown we sing this song and it's mm. like everything happy well i love the celebration of people and francis really brought me back to the celebration of that uh Recently, uh, my little my little niece, um, it was six years her sixth birthday, which marked a very important occasion for my sister. And because my sister had a very difficult childbirth with her second child, I had very difficult, um, challenging childbirth with my first. And so, we really relate to each other on that. And she died that day. She survived, and she was reborn to herself. So. It was also, in essence, I mean, a six-year cycle is very important um, to us in the moment. So I celebrated both of them. That was just last month. 
and I celebrated both of them that day. Um, it was both of their their Earth Days to me, and um, so I wanted to make sure that my sister got the acknowledgement and the and to be held in that the way that she needed to be, you know, both of them. So I, I don't know. She's reignited the importance of that for me. I appreciate that. Well, I look like an asshole now. <laughs> but we're we're do well you? we're well I over time. But I want to I want to start trying to start trying to do this segment of uh just like word of the week like but in terms of like like etymology mm-hmm. like in a, and I I just re came across this story about the origin of the word assassin, mm. which is kind of a big direct derailing. But just the because uh, it comes from the word uh there is like hang on there was a it says that eight, like 800 years ago there was like an, this indian general who like lived in the mountains and his name was like old man in the mountains but and uh they'd have all these like crazy uh soldiers that would like capture and kill like christian crusaders who were on their way to the holy land and then um but to get to get soldiers he you know he had to like uh what he did was they'd make hash which is you know which, which comes from like assassin is like hash hash as hash assassin which is you know is assassin which means like hash eaters but the story is he would drug like young boy like teenagers and like just hash them and just enough till they pass out like on the they get kids from the street and they pass out because they're so high like just high out of their minds and then he'd bring them back to the, his palace and there'd be like women and food and and all kind of like you know gold and stuff and he and the kids are like wake up and they're like, where am i and then he'd tell them like oh you died like you're in heaven now so like have all the food and women you want and then and then um and then so after a while like then after you know once they get the gist of it then he'd tell them like hey i i need you to go back to earth so you can and i need you to kill some people for me and he's like and don't worry if you get killed because you're gonna you're gonna die you're gonna come right back here and then so and then so he'd <laughs> he'd get them all hashed out again out of their mind they pass out they'd wake up and they'd take their bodies and put them in the streets and then they'd wake up on this mission like oh we got to kill these people and then so that, that still happens now. It, that reminds me of so many. Assassin comes from. Thank you for that etymology. It just reminds me so much of um, so many street kids stories throughout the decades and ages, especially whenever I was a uh, rambling rose on the road as a teenager. It's some operation. Uh, uh, yeah, it reminds like me Manson of like type a, shit. A, right. I was about to say Charlie Manson and the called? the um, all of those programs. I really don't want to bring attention to or or light to because there's a there's enough people who do that but but uh yeah that's that's an age-old story isn't it that's such an age-old um it's just interesting because you think assassin is just like the term you think it's just like a hired gun but you're like oh mm-hmm. it's like there's like it's like a weed reference and like yeah i never thought about the um the etymology of assassin thank you yeah that's far too familiar that's such a man that happens so often especially with women i really appreciate you the segue thank you it's just i'm trying I think to do that's like what's brilliant about segments right i think i think that's what's brilliant about um us and what we're creating here is because i come with the feminine and you come with the masculine i mean and vice well and i'm also seated in my masculine but i'm i'm very much rooted in my feminine femininity right now being in my my second day which is my heaviest flow and Dude, that just reminds- and uh, just being so deeply connected in my root at the moment 
So thanks for bringing the masculine baby. I need a pee break. That just reminded me, we'll end on this. That reminded me of, uh, I was looking up the origins of the bird and the bees, like where that comes from. Mm -hmm. And there's like a couple like poems and like some stories, but one was talking about this song. Uh, what is the name of the song? I can't remember the name. Like, the, you know, it was like they, something, why they fall in love or something or why they love or something. Why do, oh, 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 yes. But something, I'll put it right here. But, but <laughs> one of the, the, one of the lyrics is talking about like, you know, falling in love and it's like the birds do it and the bees do it and then and it goes the chinks do it and the japs do it and i was like what that's in the original song let's i tried to do it let's fall in love yeah it's something like that i couldn't find the original but it said but in the original right. recording it says mm -hmm. i was like what that's in the original song but but yeah. i never got why jap is a, an offensive term it's like short for japanese i'm like it's like jew isn't offensive but jap right. is but it's so funny that you say that because i was listening i'm to... asian folks don't worry I was listening I was listening to a fellow channeler the other day and there was a verbal flub that happened. She was talking, she was giving a reading about um the future of the Chinese and she said a chink in the armor. And I just thought that it was just so kind of funny. It was so funny to me. No, it was definitely subconscious. But uh you know like a chink in the ch uh, the chain but it was just um yeah i was talking about that one comic very Nathan, interesting he, he's got this joke about that like uh you know that's it's kind of the punchline is a chink in the armor and he, I remember he came up and asked me he's like he's like hey man is that an uh is that you know offensive to say that is like what do you what's your take on that and i was like well i personally I mean, you know as a comic i'm like dude that's not offensive to me but most most asians are pretty conservative with that kind of thing but it's like mm -hmm. i was telling him like it's up to you to like if it's the is the worth like is it worth the risk you know the the right risk reward of that like just for uh, i like you know. that he's asking you personally instead of just assuming that that is you know culturally inappropriate or right ethically inappropriate i would like to just take a break because there's more that i'd like to speak of and we can well we're like an hour 20 right now yeah so we can put on a weren't we speaking of longer conversations and putting up the second hour on the patreon anyway I mean, we can, but I don't. We're not really. If like, you guys ready are interested, that, I'd rather I'd rather save so we can have like more like weekly oh, stuff. Oh, I had but... more things I wanted to speak to, but okay. I mean, cannot wait till next week, or mm, I just won't even be in the same place next week. Yeah, okay. it's hard for me um, to save things, especially being so incredibly present now in in life. Um, to hark back or to save things for future, because I'll be in a in a very presently different place next Monday. Very interesting the way that that's been working, especially with the speed of life now. I know a lot of people have been, a lot of people I've been speaking with have been feeling this uh, pretty profoundly, the way that life is speeding up. We're trying to, uh, or we're creating the energetic storage and capacity to be able to keep up with that, and I'm loving it. It's really nice. Anyway break time and we're back um i was speaking to i had more that i wanted to to share we're kind of on the subject of birds um i like birds you like birds george i like birds too um well speaking of which uh my name meaning hummingbird there's this excerpt from yet another book called Jaguar Woman and the Wisdom of the Butterfly Tree by Lynn Andrews. 
It's from the 70s. Uh, she's a wild storyteller. I really appreciate her poetic and and um, just just her wildish nature. It's but there's this poem and. Jaguar's, Jaguar woman's voice became delicate and took on a warm, seductive tone. Her silhouette swayed in tempo to the music. I could see the other women in fingers of yellow moonlight. They were kneeling, their bodies heavy, like waves, rolling voluptuously. Each of them moved supplely, just as though they were very graceful and very young women. See the beauty before you. See the beauty before you. I am the hummingbird woman. Ho! I lead you to food. Ho! The eagle lord waits in the trees. He sees your skeleton. He sees your blood burn. See the beauty before you. Burn. See the beauty before you. Burn. I want your legs. I want your beautiful knees. Hummingbird woman prays. I want your arms. I want your toes and fingers. Praise. All power within us now. All power within us now. That was nice. All I could think of was that guy who came up to me in Austin who's like this demon dude that came up to us and he's like, I just want to take your eyeballs out and put them in my pocket so I can eat them later. Yeah, that was one of those <laughs> so people he admi- in the beginning he of our relationship. He admired my beauty. He yes. wanted to take me behind them waterfalls, if you know what I mean. He came around the corner and was was slithering a, a long, stalking like a like a predator, like a animalistic creature, and moving. And I felt such a, a demon-like quality to him. And, and we were... Um, in psychedelic ceremony sitting together in a waterfall in the river and down in Austin at um what are the falls Cumberland Falls or Turner Turner no Turner Falls is in Oklahoma anyway we McKinney McKinney Falls and he inserted himself into our sphere the first thing this dude said to me was um hey there's a spider on your back and like and I, I didn't freak out. I was like, oh, cool. And like, I was, you know, kind of like, can you get it all? I, I didn't freak out. And I could tell he was like, he wanted me to freak out. He wanted me to, you could just some manipulation. And I remember, and then there wasn't even a fucking spider on my back. And I remember I was, and I was like, can, well, no, can one of you help me? And I was like, he was gauging your reaction. And he didn't like me at all because obviously through my behavior, I could see right, right through him. And then he OD'd you on some kratom. <laughs> he he gave me a peace offering, and I was uh, tired and in a very peaceful, centered place. So I I didn't I I wasn't using my intuition at this moment. Obviously, or I wouldn't have taken the kratom. But it was the first time I had ever done kratom, and since then I've learned I I am very sensitive to kratom. I'm a person who doesn't do well on it. I don't or, feel or anything. With, or with it. the medicine. And some medicines your body just doesn't do well with. Well, this is one of them for me. Um, and yeah, he quite literally <laughs> tried to kill me. <laughs> uh, that was the whole experience I was just speaking to about the energies that be and, and people that were in our lives, mainly your life at the time, that were trying to keep us separate and trying to separate us. It was very interesting. And that's 
where we really realized um, and started seeing our angels also, our little, our methy angels, as we call them. Uh, our first angel named Eddie, he's a homeless man in downtown that was protecting us from other energies that were uh, that were trying to attach to us while we were kind of in a weakened, st- or I was in a very weakened state and vulnerable and B was trying to protect me. So that I was just trying to keep you alive. I wasn't <laughs> protecting, but well, Eddie was protecting us, and that was uh, that was beautiful. And you, you did keep me alive. We kept me, we kept me alive. Oh well, what an experience! What an experience that was. I wonder if he would have eaten your eyeballs with anything. <laughs> Uh, don't even try it, dude. I, was, I wasn't going to let them. Strange entities, you know, they try it. They I'm try terrible. it. I'm terrible about, about gay dudes hitting on me, but mm. I, I definitely would. Yeah. I, I definitely uh, have enough uh, agency over my own consciousness to know I'm like, like when I drink, I'm like, okay, I'm getting, this is getting too much. I know when to stop, especially I got to drive later. So I'm like, this is where I need to stop. I'm not trying to go past this line. And then especially with like, mm-hmm. you know, other things. I, I don't know. I'm very. I really do appreciate I know how that to, in you. I know how to like pump the brakes on certain mm-hmm. things but yeah i do appreciate your what is that word it's my ruling car- temperance temperance but i think temperance doesn't that mean like sobriety though like, no it's it just... just moderation oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah i'm good at moderating yeah yeah my saggy sagittarius my other reference to birds and uh also to winter i wanted to bring in winter tales since we're in the tail end of winter and it's February, and this is a chapter from chapter three. This is another uh, gorgeous book. Actually, B bought this for me. It's you have to hold them up. I'll put them. I'll put it up here. Okay, Annie Dillard, Pilgrim at Tinker at Tinker Creek, a mystical excursion into the natural world. Yeah, I've kind of heard this it's is like a treasure re- of mine. I've kind of heard it's like related. It's like uh, the female version of Walden, essentially. Yes, and Walden throws. Oh. I actually had a quote from Thoreau that I wanted to read today also. That's so funny. Uh, but the female version of Walden, of course, I was completely infatuated. And see, this is something romantic that you bought for me. And it being February and all and my birthday. You see, it comes full circle. Buy me a book or a plant and <laughs> and I'm a puddle. <laughs> um <clears throat> Or seeds. (laughs) So this chapter is chapter three. It's called Winter. Um, It's just a historical tidbit as well. In the first of February, and everyone is talking about starlings. Starlings came to this country on a passenger liner from Europe. One hundred of them were deliberately released in Central Park. And from those hundred descended all of our countless millions of starlings today. According to Edwin Way Teal, their coming was the result of one man's fancy. That man was Eugene Sheffelin, a wealthy New York drug manufacturer. His curious hobby was the introduction into America of all the birds mentioned in William Shakespeare. The birds adapted to their new country splendidly. When John Cowper Powis lived in the United States, he wrote about chickadees stealing crumbs from his favorite flock of starlings. Around here, they're not so popular. 
instead of quietly curling for sleep one by one, here and there, in dense shrubbery, as many birds do, starlings roost all together in vast hordes and droves. They have favorite roosting sites to which they return winter after winter. Apparently, Southwest Virginia is their idea of Miami Beach. In Waynesboro, where the starlings roost in the woods near the Coiner Springs area, residents can't go outside for any length of time or even just to hang laundry because of the stink. We'll knock you over the droppings and the lice. Starlings are notoriously difficult to control. The story is told of a man who was bothered by starlings roosting in a large sycamore near his house. He said he tried everything to get rid of them and finally took a shotgun to three of them and killed them. He asked if that discouraged the birds. He reflected a minute, leaned forward and said confidently, those three it did. <laughs> so it's interesting that I read this as I had just discovered um, a a new group which wasn't a, which isn't a new group but it was a new group to me which was comprised of all of these ladies that I listen to individually but they're called Starling Arrow and uh, the group that I listen to the most is Rising Appalachia which I mentioned earlier that my sister and I used to sing and they're from um, the Appalachian Mountains you know in Virginia and such so so it's just full circle and I never knew the history of starlings here in the United States, but they come down here too. They kind of, they come and they pick at the chickens' food a lot in the wintertime. Are those the ones with like the yellow bellies? No, they're the black and white guys. Oh. Yeah. I just always remember that one little, remember that, I don't know, I don't know what kind of bird it is. I'll try to put it up here, but it was like kind of grayish, silvery, and it had like yellow mm -hmm. I remember we found a dead one on its back, and he had like a tiny little bird boner. Yes. He was like, <laughs> he was like in rigor mortis. But I used to know that was quite a large. It was quite large for a bird. No, I, I was like a little surprised for like his little, body. Looked like a little stick, but <laughs> for his body, I was I was surprised. Speaking of penises, I was just reading on that prehistory of sex book about, and I, I read it at Sex at Dawn too. But it was talking about in terms of like other apes and mammals, like how. Mainly apes, but humans have gigantic penises compared to, like, gorillas and chimps and bonobos. Like, theirs are, like, mm -hmm. centimeters long. And I'm trying to remember how what the what the what why that happened and what the preferences was. But I don't know. I just I find that. Because you think a giant gorilla, you think of, like, you know, the big mm -hmm. alpha. But but I, I think because in that type of situation, when there's, like, an alpha, like, one guy getting all the females, like, you know, there's not really, I, I guess, there's not a need to, like, have a bigger penis. Because I think... They tr try to correlate that to like you know c shooting semen in there and stuff, but but uh but you know monogamous not monogamous uh like bonobo type situations and like I think they have bigger penises than chimps. I don't I could be talking out of my ass. I'm talking about eight penises, but I just remember hearing that and I was like, oh, fascinating. I really enjoy uh, bonobo lifestyle because it's a it's still a monarchy. I dig that. Yeah, and they use the women choose. The women choose, and the women are um, very sexually open and and um, self-ruling and educated. I like it. I dig it. Well, yeah, cause, and like because chim we chimps like use <laughs> as a culture. Um, chimps use power for sex, and bonobos use sex for power. Because mm -hmm. like a chimp, they try to get power so they can get the 
have one guy get all the ladies, but Bonobos has a, with a bunch of females, you know, there's like, Hey, they're, you know, like they're no problem having sex and, you know, everyone's chill and calmed out. Like, and then, you know, one guy starts misbehaving though. You kind of like kick that guy out. And then, so it's a totally interesting diet. And cause then, and you know, people try to talk about correlate the, are we more like bonobos or more like chimps? Cause you know, people talk like, you know, non-monogamy being a bigger thing and how, uh, you know, that's very rare for animals to be monogamous. There's only like a few that do it. I think a couple birds do it. Um, I think a couple, maybe a couple monkeys, I think, or something like, like, but it's very rare. Now you're, now you're reminding me of the song again. Da, 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 da. Let's do it. Let's mm. fall in love. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Thank you for bringing that. The sexual nature of the animal kingdom could really teach us a lot about our own sexuality, now, couldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Instead of, you know, relying on institutional religious texts uh, for our sexual morality. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where to begin with that, but I I have a lot that I'd like to say. I was actually looking for my little notepad over here. Just one moment. Because you said you had a bunch of other stuff you wanted to bring up. I guess we can this second half we can put on Patreon. It'll just be a bonus or you know paid for bonus type. Okay. What was it uh, surrounding the hour that's so important that way? Just this being an hour long. Just consistent, because the last one was like 50 minutes, just mm-hmm. somewhat consistency. Like one's like 50 minutes, one's like two hours. Just and it, just listener mm-hmm. retention is, it's hard to get people to stay that long, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. But so might, it might as Maybe well, we could do a two-part segment. Yeah, might as well try to use this for, just put, to put something on Patreon, but. Mm-hmm. If it ends up being interesting enough. I mean, I don't mind also just editing the quiet parts out of this. I know I've been very slow and. And uh, low and slow this episode, so. Not really. You've been talking most of the time, I feel. Oh. Okay. <laughs> that um. That quote from Thoreau that I was speaking to was uh, my favorite quote. To affect the quality of the day, that is the highest of arts. That's what that reminded me of. Whenever you said that this was the... The female Walden. Mm. Oh, the little one is reading Walden right now. She's actually really into it. And his collection of essays. Yeah, the... What is that one? The... Man, I can't think of it. It's like kind of like Miss... He's basically saying, like, if you disagree with the law, it's kind of up to you to disobey it and... And then, because then I remember this story about him being in jail for not paying taxes because he didn't agree with it. And then Emerson came and visited him, and he's like, "Dude, what are you doing in here, dude? Like, we need you out in the world. Like, we don't need you in jail." So it was like, I don't know. It was kind of a. I appreciated the dueling philosophies of that, but I do too. I really appreciate the transcendentalists, uh, like Dickinson, and and the whole. I would just love to have been, if I could astral project, and and 
go into the the records of any timeline it would be that I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that room or even the uh, like the the bohemians from the 50s sitting in a parisian underground nightclub waxing philosophically and uh, just those moments in history I I feel so inclined to go and just sit and and listen in on mine would be like pre-colonial america just to see like what natives and obviously not in like some crazy you know tribe but like if you could have one lifetime of just you know because people say when they came here the white man came here there's like you know the fish were the rivers were full of fish you could like literally walk across the little river the streams because they're so full of fish and there's like the birds were a plenty the fish were a plenty and like this was the land uh, of plenty I would, that's yeah. i would love to and you know no western influence and you know like just I don't know, I would love to just, if I could go back, it'd be sometime like in that. I would really have loved to have been part of the, uh, oh goodness, my brain. Um, anyway, just the, the, the wild west, the frontier of, of the last homesteading, um, land races, you know, of, of staking your own claim. And then you want to drive through the oh country on god, a oh my god that would have been incredible you want to go on a cross the country on a wheels made of wood and like there's natives <sighs> shooting arrows at you and yeah. like ugh. I'd rather be and staking your own rather, claim that's the thing I'd rather be yours putting your flag up and just and being thing. able I, to do whatever you want with I'd it. rather live in a time where there is no claiming this isn't my it's like yeah this is like everyone's land not like this is property this is we claim this I'd rather have lived when it was like open and you know, like it's like, like this is the tribes not like mine oh yes most definitely but i pre-colonial like i feel like it'd be a little i, I would because and they, i would just like to see yes. the, see the country the beautiful land because i love america but i i hate the government i love the i love the land but so that's why i'd love to see what the land looked like so untouched sweet. when there's like no buildings and like no no lights at night and like you just got a little fire and like you know people yes. you know and love and i'm like ooh, that'd be that'd be interesting yeah sure it might be a little I don't know. It'd just be interesting to see a different way of life, but culturally, when the land they got a different was, story they're enacting. Yes, when the land was still plentiful. That that reminds me of a poem I need to find for for next episode. Also, of when the lands were still plentiful, and and pure and virginal for the for the most part, and yeah, I would love to have seen it then before we came in and ravaged it <laughs> and the peoples I agree yeah I don't know it just seems I just like because I when I was in anthropology I was just that's what I was fascinated with I that's what I was trying to discover is like different ethoses and ethi ethoses of living and like philosophies of life and like and like like the whole ishmael thing like what a different culture like they're they have a different story they're enacting like because ours is just kind of like production and domain and but i like to see when we're like oh we're a part of it like we're not like of it or not above it so and just yes. to see what that would what what that does to your psych psyche and just other things that develop and like you know just listening to nature more i don't know because we're we're exactly the exact opposite of that but well we aren't but uh, like I keep saying, I'm I, I'm not in it or of it. I visit it and I flow in and out of it. 
but I don't like to say we because I don't feel a part of that. Um, well, I mean, you, you can't like... I can't. Of course, that's why I say I flow in and out of it, but I don't feel a part of those spheres of life. I have different spheres of life that I that I entertain and that I'm a part of. I mean, it's inevitable, right? Um, but what I would really love is, that's why self-sustainability and creating our own community is so important to me. Because uh, I have a, a different appreciation and a different, a different mindset when it comes to living. And I've never felt a part of, of that culture or society. I tried it on for a time. But it it was a very ill fit, ill fitting suit, and I've always just even I was born <laughs> basically <laughs> born in a van and down by the river and and uh, to a very to two dragons we lived in the dragon wagon it was called the dragon wagon and it was painted with two big dragons on the side and my mom painted a um an elf pissing on a toadstool on the back and we traveled from Massachusetts to San Diego we took a whole a year I think to get there and been on the road basically ever since so that's I've never really felt belonging in society even when I even when I tried to it didn't belong to me. It doesn't yeah, me either, me. but in different ways. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I like um, but I acknowledge cultivating I'm, and creating our own community. But I acknowledge I'm still like a part of it. Like I'm still in it, amongst it, surrounded by it. But right. But I like I I don't like to participate. There's nothing for me to participate in, really. But I do. I mean, there are things that I appreciate, like. Um, the arts and and museum libraries uh, concerts you know basically it's everything that has to do with the arts and of course in some ways we're still in the grocery stores which I would like to do without but we try every year to to get further and further away from that you know Hopefully it's eventual. That would be nice. Yeah, I mean, it's... Do you mean, like, as in growing your own food or, like, in terms of, like, you know, getting your meat from, like, ranchers and stuff? Like, I mean, that's, like, a big that's feasible chunk, but... Um, that's my ideal is getting everything locally from... It's kind of hard to, to... All of our local farms and creating our own also. Yeah, as much as possible. I mean, that's what we try to do now, but even more. Just every day working towards that that goal. I mean, yesterday we went grocery shopping last night because everyone was preoccupied watching the Super Bowl, and I knew we'd be alone <laughs> in the store, so it would be quiet and, <laughs> and peaceful because you know that's what this culture does. Yeah, it was pretty empty. Yeah. <laughs> it was so quiet enough. I was what, uh, you know, this whole 
uh, just we're us being by the. I hardly, I never. Anytime we're at a store, I never look at the eggs. We have so many chickens, but you know, all I hear online is about this egg shortage and egg price hikeage, and you know, like the egg rack was pretty, was pretty bare. And uh, now I remember I saw this one Indian guy, and I'm like, I thought I was pretty Jewish, but I was watching this guy. He was like looking at all the eggs, and he took an egg out of this one and like put it in. He's like looking at them and put it over there, and I was like, I don't know what he was looking for, but it was just. I don't know. I've, n- I've never seen that before. It was just so so quiet and slow. I was just watching one guy. I was like, "What is he doing?" And then, because <laughs> I have this theory that Koreans are the the uh, the Jews of Asia, and that how how cheap <laughs> how cheap we are and like calculated. Like back when we used to go to buffets, I remember oh. thinking about how I'm like, "What? How can I get the most like the the per bite the the most like dollar per bite?" I'm like. I'm like, don't don't touch that rice. Don't touch the noodles. Like basically the cheap carbs. I'm like, gotta get the protein. That's the most expensive. I'm like per per like shrimp. I'm like, it's like it's like supermarket sweet, but of the buffet. <laughs> I'm like, how can I get the most per bite <laughs> dollar per bite? Like who thinks like that? <laughs> D DPD. It's so funny you bring up um, Jew. I it turns out that I'm 13 percent Eastern uh, European Jew. Just an, amal- an amalgamation of, well, I wanted to take a DNA test because there's a lot of, I come from a family of storytellers and there's a lot of folklore and um, there's a lot of, I, I wanted to settle some things and just get an idea because with storytellers, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, exaggeration or hyperbole oh, things. Oh, yeah. And so... And then generations of that, you, know, you don't know oh, what to believe. Right. So also, of course, I can, I need my father's blood to really see what's on his side. So I still have questions there. But I wanted to be able to tap in more with um, my helpful ancestors. And, that, and I don't know, I felt initially, of course, I didn't trust it. Right. But then I felt it didn't really matter. And I just, I had this needful knowing in myself uh and it turns out that things that i had it was very confirmational because things that i had felt like viking blood like our connection to um our heritage it turns out i'm norwegian also you're swedish our last names are incredibly similar uh just being able being able to tap into my ancestry i wanted to be able to do that yeah, especially roots are through important. through ceremony and um very interesting there was ukrainian and russian and polish and uh german and, and i think as all, a all jewish as a country we you know our history is so short of being here like you know what 1776 that's like 300 years and then you know there's because i remember hearing there's like pubs in ireland that are like a thousand years old and like they've been owned by the same family and it's just like we're not and just the fact that the building's that old but like we don't like we see a building like oh 1920 this building's ancient and we're like gorgeous yeah i I think we just we do have like a longing of our roots and our history because it's like it's so fractured because we're like whatever whoever our crazy ancestors were to get on a boat and come over here and like there wasn't like youtube to look up like how to live in america it's like just get over here and oh they tell us it's a promised land and mm. so i'm like yeah that's, a lot that's, of it's that crazy thinking that slavery for the workforce also i i know that that was in my family my scottish and irish heritage 
uh, well, that was also forced labor. I mean, those were slave ships also. Well, they, People don't really talk about that. But. In the Caribbean, there was like 100,000 uh, <laughs> female and children, child slaves from Ireland. And that's why they say like Ireland and Jamaican, like their accents are kind of similar. They're like what, right. the way they speak. Right. My like eldest daughter in, is Jamaican. And... Yeah, Jamaican and her grandmother's full on Scottish from Edinburgh. So she's actually <laughs> my mixed child. This is so ironic. My mixed child is more Scottish than I am. She's actually uh, she's more than half. She's seventy percent Scottish. <laughs> That's pretty wild to think about. Yeah, DNA is extraordinary. Ancestry is fascinating, and I'm grateful. I think. It also helps speaking to society um, or on society. I think with the DNA testing, it really helps people speaking to what you were speaking about with uh, Western civilization, not having culture or mythos or, or ritual outside of uh, just the warped nature of um, borrowed, borrowed holidays and, and just how bastardized our our uh, rituals are but but how i feel like getting in touch with your roots and your dna it is helping a lot of people reconnect with them their ancient selves and and um awakening things within that weren't that were dead before yeah, because I like hearing, like, old accounts of old lifetimes because, you know, you just think of your ancestors and all the, like, hard shit they went through and, like, just, just to get here for us to, serve, you know, all the crazy decisions and synchronicities that happen for, like, whoever to mate and carry and hold a baby and, like, mm -hmm. just travel around with it and keep us alive. And then mm -hmm. for us to be here and, like, how cushy we have it and, like, how... Yeah, I, honestly, I feel like how that, al that almost leads to more depression and, like, just... Sta you know just the stagnation the yes. the nerf life we live in because we're so <clears throat> uh, no hardships and like and then mm -hmm. so like when you, I, I try i tr you know so whenever i think of like when i'm going through something hard i'm like i just not to diminish my own feelings but like when i think of like i'm like dude my ancestors like did so much crazier shit and i'm like i yes, don't know it's for you especially for you to be maybe here, laughing at me thousand like, people walking behind you and with you and beside you and though i don't evoke all of them i only ask only the helpful <laughs> only the helpful for for guidance or um yeah i'm delving deeper into that and exactly what it is that i'm searching for within it but i just i think that this is the dna tests are helping a lot of people do that i heard this uh <laughs> theory about people doing DNA tests and them collecting all that so they can like create, you know, perfectly genetic specific kind of diseases and stuff or just like micro, uh, mm. chemical warfare type of stuff, biochemical warfare stuff. I was like, I thought that was interesting because I've always thought like, that's probably the only reason why I haven't done it because I'm like, yeah, where is this going? Like what database mm -hmm. is this going to? But so I don't know, I just I thought that was interesting, especially with, you know, yeah, I tried to go with intuitively but... what I felt was the lesser of potential evils, but yeah, I heard Twenty Three and Me is the worst because I think I think Google owns it, and I think I think it was Google. I or believe no. I, I went with Ancestry. Yeah, I can't. You bought that for me for my birthday last year, actually. 
Okay, so speaking right. of birthdays, I did celebrate my 40th birthday because uh, the reasoning behind that was because I wanted to celebrate all of those who brought me into my 40th year when I really didn't know or think that I would make it to 40. And 40 being such a transitional year and, and all the women that I speak with, people that I speak with, that being great milestone in life not that it's the year but there's just an energy around the 40th year so I did I, I normally don't have a party and I usually spend my time alone or in service uh, I go horseback riding or give myself a little spa day or something and I try to volunteer it's just very quiet and and because it's um it's on Valentine's Day you guys so it's pretty lonely anyway because uh, everyone is busy with everyone else typically so I get to be alone and uh, I really relish in my alone time that way but yeah anyway that's what you bought me for my 40th birthday was a DNA test that's right yeah it's pretty cool thank you baby thank you for facilitating that yeah no problem do you still want one? I do, but yeah, I guess I'm I'm curious about this whole North Korean theory, and then also yeah, just because I know I have, we have a lot of Swedish si side, and then yeah, what was that? My aunt Deanna was saying like she when she say like English? Oh, German and English, yeah, English was a new development that we yeah, weren't English, aware of. Yeah, German, I wasn't, I didn't know that, but yeah. I don't know, my because when I the older my uncles and my dad got, they you know they almost like they do kind of have like a little Jewish nose, but I'm like my dad had a ski slope up a nose. I'm like, I guess that is that's like a German kind of thing. You but. guys look Polish too. Your grandfather looks Polish, like small and has that elven kind of gnomey. Yeah, he was a tiny look man. Look to him. I gotta like a forest, like a forest of, creature. Speaking of ancestry, I remember what my. Uh, he was in World War Two. My grandpa and their, uh, he, they said he was. He wouldn't talk about the war. My uncles and my dad told me, but they said when they got him a little drunk, he would tell some stories and uh, one story like and, and harping back to like my ancestors doing stuff that's like crazy, very hard. And they said he was there on he was on Normandy on the third day, which you know pulling up to that beach and I'm sure there were still just bodies strewn about. But you know then they're told one story where. I forget what they call it. I guess like a scout or something. Like they would march when they're marching in France or wherever the hell they were. They would, one guy would be way in the front and then the rest of the group would be in the back, like further back. So when they're walking, like if there's a sniper see sees them coming, they'd shoot the guy in the front and then the rest of the people know, okay, there's a fucking sniper up there. And they said one time uh, my, my grandpa was the guy in the front and he got shot like in the helmet. But they said it like skimmed his helmet, or like it was just like like an inch away from death, essentially. Which it, I remember thinking about that. I was like, man, if that sniper got that guy a little better, I wouldn't be here. But and they said like in his training, they told him to play dead, and then so he like played dead, and then I guess the the guy, the sniper guy, came up to him to check on him and see if he was dead. And they said my grandpa, like I don't remember if they said he stabbed him in the stomach. Or I think they he shot him in the stomach when the Nazi he was a, when the Nazi came up to him and he was just like, Pew! and then like just, so I can't imagine just that close and. So I don't know. When I think of shit like that, I'm like, holy shit, dude. I'm like, mm. like here, here I am, like <laughs> doing what? But then, uh, not that I'd ever want to be in a war type situation. But and another story, they said like, <laughs> he he just goes, you'd be surprised how easy it is for eye, human eyeballs to pop out of the head. 
And so my Uncle John was like, oh, my God, just like trying to imagine that, right. just like squeezing eyes. But Sometimes my dad would slip also with stories of Vietnam and Korea. And, the, you know, the old folk, whenever they have a little vulnerable moment and then quickly reel it back in again. That's wild about every time, every time you tell that, it just hits me the same with the same intensity. Ooh. I don't know. They talk about like to shell Peter, shock back then. I'm like, men, how can you not be like, you're just like, men. Oh, yeah, I really am. I'm really youth. looking forward to the era of man that lifts up and evolves out of lo the lower realms of of uh, the warrior mindset and warring and actually gets into the new the new era uh, evolved consciousness i'm really it's time and it's overdue it's overdue well i think there's a you know it's good to be like trained and stuff and like capable but like yeah i mean i don't think most people would ne hardly do that unless there's some general or Someone telling, you know, I don't know, I don't know how you, I mean, that's why they like at boot camps and stuff is such a bra brainwashing of a situation of like, yes. you all got to look alike, shave your head. We just fucking yell and scream at you till you like agree. And, you know, that kind of just like, I, I don't, can you fail boot camp? Do they kick you out if you just like, because I, I imagine if I was there, yes, like I would, I would purposely tank my skills just to be like, dude, you screaming at me is not how to get your message across <laughs> to me, dude. Like, you gotta meet me at a human level, but I don't think, they don't want that, though. They want you to be like, well, they have to break sorry, you. yes, sir. And like, That's why I'm a Mustang. I definitely... I'm trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. I, I mean, purposely try I'm to... trained, classically trained in Kung Fu, Tai Chi, Qigong. Like, uh, my father was a, a Kung Fu master, sensei, Eastern medicine philosopher, doctor, in, in that sense. Um, so like you were, you were talking about being capable. Yes. Being well-trained. I'm capable. Yeah. But then there's just a but certain level of like to it. Cause the whole point of martial arts is to not use The philosophy use is that yes. Cause you see the fight coming ready. Like miles ahead. You're like, Oh, I can skirt this. Cause like, I'm not, you don't, you don't want to fight. Like it's the whole Precisely. point. It's to avoid that should be, I remember one time. <laughs> I was so surprised by my dad's reaction, but now I, I understand it. But but one time I broke a kid's nose in school. I was in seventh grade. He had grabbed my ass, and he was he was a menace. He was actually sexually assaulting many girls in school, and I elbowed him in the nose. And um, I got suspended for two weeks. And I remember my mom was, was, you know, hooting and hollering and was really excited about it, and I was just... That was one extreme <laughs> of a reaction from my parents. And then my dad found out, and though he was a person who always made it a point to never use the word disappointment, um, and he was very adamant about, about parents not using that word or saying that they're disappointed in their children, but he was visibly disappointed in me because he told me now in his East Coast, in his stern East Coast way that, um, but he was very gentle, but that he was not happy because I was, he knew that uh, being of my training, that there was another way for me to handle that. And I could have very easily. And I let my um, anger and frustration rule me in that moment instead of my logic and reason. 
Well, it's so tricky as big... like a father. I mean, because I don't know, like if I, a father to daughter, I'm like, yeah, I don't take that shit from some schmuck. But mm-hmm. but then I'm like, I don't know, man, because, yeah, it's sexual assault, it's, it's very different. I feel like it's different rules for women, I feel like then. Yeah, there's a lot that we have to walk around and deal with. Then if men you don't, just don't, yeah, if you don't, don't, do don't it, understand because they're not women. Naturally. If you don't stand at some point, they're just going to keep they're going to take it a step further, you know, and so it's like, yeah. Because I remember... Yeah, we were all pretty sick of this boy. I remember in middle school, like, when kids would just, like... You know, the boy, other kids would just, like, purple nurple. You can just pinch your nipples. And I fucking hate my nipples being touched. And I remember someone doing it to me. And I remember, like... A, it was kind of reactionary, but just out of anger to let the kid know, like, dude, don't... Don't do that to me in the future. I remember I just socked him in the arm. And so, obviously, I didn't hit him in the face. But I was just sending my message to, like, dude, don't fucking do that anymore. And then he, ne- he never did, but so but if you but I feel like if you you don't do that, there comes a point of uh, you know they'll just keep doing it and like keep bullying you essentially. But so it's so a situational. Like a bar- yeah. What do you call it? A mm-hmm. bor- not, you say it all not barriers or borders. Boundaries. But, uh, boundaries. Yeah, you're just like you're, you're crossing it. I'm like I'm right. Precisely. So my boundary, I was violated, and I reacted. But the whole point was that I was reactionary instead of responsive. Yeah, well, he just did it. And you just immediately elbowed him. Like, yeah, it was it was um, instinct. It was just yeah, yeah. It was more of a what would you call it? A... Anyway, yeah, yeah reactionary. it was it was it was instinctual, an impulse. But that's what I'm saying is that we can rise above our impulses and especially our violent tendencies as a, as a whole as people and especially as as men there there are more intelligent ways to to um, to approach conflict. Yeah, I remember being in right and and especially now that in the modern age that it's all backed by uh, it's all monetarily monetarily back to it's all for profit in some ways anyway military industrial complex and yeah i remember being in really fifth grade when that, oh, okay <laughs> no 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 please do you have a story no not anymore <laughs> why not in fifth grade what you just said you didn't want to get into it. And it's about nine eleven and the military so oh <laughs> yeah just speaking to um to being very cognizant of, of where I direct my energy now because I'm evolving into the understanding and knowing of how powerful my attention is. So I'd rather speak to the things that I, I want to see more. I want um, more in the world because that's my, that's my place and that's my my position and my um, path. Yeah, it's trickier for me as, as a comic. I'm like, yeah, you know, observation. Like, isn't this weird? Or like, this is a weird thing. Like, does mm. anyone else not see how weird, like, abnormal this is? But yes. I get what you're saying. But yes, this is beautiful too. This I <sighs> looking. What's at... the deal with airplane peanuts? <laughs> Social commentary is part of of you being the jester, of you being the court jester, of you being the fool, and that's and I mean being a son of laughter. That's 
in both of our heritages and speaking of our ancient DNA and, and of um, our, our power and purpose. Uh, so, yeah, but as a, I'm just taking a different approach with it. Mm -hmm. I really, I really dig that you're using this platform to bring awareness. Well, uh, the podcast. No, the platform, the stage. Oh, comedy. Your your true calling. Well, it's more personal stuff. It's not. I mean, uh, here and there, there's some social kind of stuff, but. I think it all starts that way through personal story. Everything begins that way. This podcast begin that is beginning that way. It's not really related, but I just I heard someone talking about the what's the difference between a comic and a comedian, and they said uh, a comic, you know, kind of says funny stuff like one liner joke type of thing, and a comedian says something not funny and then talks about that and makes it funny. I thought that was a good, uh, uh, interesting like, difference. Because I remember people, yeah, yeah like, what's a comic Uncle comedian? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a comedian. But like you know, like, like the Mitch Hedberg's, like that's a comic, like you know very punchy one-liners type of stuff, but mm. that was an interesting distinction. Yeah, I appreciate, um, especially bringing back into the Viking way and the medicine way that uh, the medicine people of a lot of the cultures of my, of my people were also the fools. They, they were the bringers of of the psychedelic medicines and also were able and allowed to say, comment, be the commentary for the tribe and say and do anything they wanted uh, because they knew that, because uh, that was their, their place was to bring that, that sort of uh, truth through laughter and truth through, through sometimes even harsh and violent medicine. <laughs> Well, remember the Hayoka, I think that's her name. It's like the yes. Lakota people's uh, sacred clown. Like, yes. they would do stuff to, like, you know, just kind of remind you guys, like, hey, you don't have to don't take things too seriously. I know this is, like, our thing. You know, like, mm -hmm. specifically, I remember certain, you know, if they're doing, like, some, I don't remember the exact ritual they're doing, but, you know, everyone would be going clockwise in a circle, and then the, the Hayoka would go counterclockwise just, and they'd let them, you know, yes. just to, just, you know, like, hey, you know, show, like, you, you don't have to do, you know, like this is a little thing everyone's believing and then, or, you know, I'd ride backwards on a horse or, you know, stuff like mm -hmm. that. But the absurdity, there's medicine in the absurdity. Yeah. And just, yeah, to not a, not a dissenter, but yeah, just to, you know, just, just a reminder of like, you know, like nothing's happening to me just cause I'm not doing what you're doing kind of thing. Like I've always been that misfit kind of reminds me of like, I don't want to, I hate, I don't want to talk too much about kids, but just. Hmm. with a <laughs> is he you know just like road trauma like mm -hmm. and I, you know she had trauma trying to cross the road because her dog got hit by her car she, and then i remember just being when i was trying to get her to we we're riding by i think we I was on foot at first but just to cross the road it was a somewhat busy intersection and then a uh, street and then i uh, and i you know i clearly was looking like no cars here no cars here and i'd stand in the middle and i was like look i'm perfectly safe like you know nothing's gonna happen and then and then, like, I didn't push her, and then she's like, yeah. oh, I, I don't, I'm not ready. And then, you know, so I came back, and, you know, we went back home. And then the next day, 
I don't remember. I don't remember how many times after that, but then yeah, eventually, then she stood in there, and then the, you know, you know, we crossed, and then, but just the. Well, uh, I'm really grateful for your being a threshold guardian, and that for her outside of myself that she could trust. Yeah, I mean, same with the dog Alpha. Like, mm-hmm. same, like you know, obviously she had trauma with men, and yeah. I remember just. You've been like that with all of us females here. Like yeah, I guess so. Like sitting, I just remember like trying to get her to. I would just sit by her food bowl and like. You know, I, I would purposely put food in there she'd want. And then I remember she was so traumatized. Like, she would see me there and she'd like go around the corner and like see and then hide like 10 seconds. And then she'd just poke her head out and, and see I'm still there. And she's like, I don't remember if she made a sound or not, but then she'd like right. hi, hide back again. And then 20 seconds later, she'd poke her head back out and no, I'm still here. And then and it took so long to like coax her to like be fine, to just to eat in front of me. And then uh, eventually just to even like touch her while she's eating. even sometimes it's even like yes. when I touch her when she's eating, she's just like, like it's all tight. And then so, yeah, the, the... the patience and the care of your balanced masculine energy with a household of women that had PTSD and CPTSD trauma, if you want to put a label on it, but that's relatable to people. Uh, we had all experienced extreme um domestic violence in uh in our adopted dog she was an emotional support animal that we had rescued and she had obviously had endured male violence and she i never heard her make a peep ever she not even a whisper not even a whine nothing before b came and and moved in with us and he started working with her personally just what was with gorgeous about your energy like, is being um, this, like I said, a threshold guardian in, in healing and being purposeful in that through your own balanced and checked masculine and feminine, um, that balance that you had in yourself so that you could have, so that you were a trusted masculine energy in the home. Because then one day, I believe I was getting ready for work and I was I was in the bathroom and I heard I heard a dog making all sorts of racket and I was like is someone at the door did someone bring a dog to the house and at the time I was like no my friends don't bring dogs over they know that she doesn't get along with other dogs she's a human kind of creature and uh, I, I go out there, and she's just having a ball playing with you, barking and howling. And, <laughs> yeah. and, just, I, remember and I, like, I used to play deal? with her all the time, and we would wrestle and stuff, and she would play with other dogs at the dog park. But even then, she never made a sound. And then we couldn't get her to shut up every time he came in the door. Oh, no, I created a monster now. She <laughs> she likes to prove and show to him that yeah. she's, you know, protective and that she's vocal and that she's invoked this masculine energy in herself and to make daddy proud. Um, and so she honors him by barking up a storm yeah. every time you enter the house. She won't no. stop until I, like, I pet her. She, cause, <laughs> like, and she's like, and she's like, yeah. Isn't yeah. that gorgeous? That's a gorgeous lesson for men to be a safe space and a safe haven for women, especially whenever there's been um chronic abuse involved yeah. just to be gentle and to be patient well i heard and, this oh, sorry and to allow to create the safe space and to be the safety so that so that we can come to you with our vulnerability so that we can open to you so that we can bloom to you and Bonobo it's not style. out of it's not out of force 
it's not out of violence it's not out of aggression it's out of a very balanced masculine and feminine with qualities within yourself so that the woman feels safe make her feel safe yeah, that is very she will come to you bonobo s like what we're talking about in the first hour about yeah like the male not appeasing but just fitting into the the female group and then yeah obviously if you act out of line that's when they're like no I, you need to go like you're not fitting in versus like okay he's like helping us and then and also i heard about like dogs uh how they're kind of like a micro micro version of life for us because you know like generally you know we, we get them as puppies little babies and then they you know they grow up and then by the time and then they're old and like you know dragging their hips and so it's like a very sped up process of life and death and then yes so and for day yeah, to see her like the trauma and like healing and then like so it's it's, yeah. a, it's a lot more quicker of a scale than you know for a human it's like wait you know years so it's like harder to picture it and like to reflect on it but yeah like animals mm -hmm. are yeah especially specifically dogs they're very they're way more uh reflective of like life for us micro micro scales yeah the microcosm of the life death life or the death life death process being in dualistship with the death of our dog together was all of us together being death doulas for our animal and ushering her into the new phase onto the new path together was such a rite of passage for all of us and like this bonding experience well, a weird in time the beginning. too because i had like five like animal deaths in that like a month time and uh, not mm. like one was like a it was like a kitten or a puppy somewhere else and then like uh, there was one that was like, was like a, a squirrel and like a like a bird too and i was like mm -hmm. i was like man what is with all this like death like maybe this symbolic of like a passing of a phase of life or something but yeah i remember seeing i was like man this is like a recurring theme yeah, definitely. At the time, I was experiencing dog a lot of death of, of cycles and and um, collapsing of timelines as well. So it was, you know, everything, like like I always say, everything is a mirror for another. And then also energetically symbolic for allowing more life to enter into a new phase of the path. 